0: Is there really an ethical drug? Can you consent to sex when you're high? If you're a dick on drugs, should you really take that cap? We sat down with a panel to tackle these questions and many more sent in from vice readers around Australia. Here's the live recording. Hey everyone, welcome to the Ethics Centre. My name is Madison, I'm the Deputy Editor of Vice, and tonight we've teamed up with the Ethics Centre for Vice Asks, what are the ethics of getting high? I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we meet this evening, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to Elders past and present. So, why should we care about the ethics of getting high? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is acknowledge that taking drugs is very common. The National Drug Household Survey found that 42% of Australians over 14 have tried illicit drugs. Probably most people in this room have. Taking drugs isn't a fringe activity. Other than downloading Game of Thrones, it's probably one of the most common illegal activities we do. But it also raises broad questions about ethics, from consent to the responsible education of children, from the supply chain to the policing of drug use. In our eagerness to either criticize or celebrate drugs, we often forget about the ethics. For the non-ethicists in the room, we have a quick definition. Ethics doesn't try and declare what is right or wrong for everybody. It's a process of just trying to work out what's right for you. Every time you're thinking about how you should act, you're doing ethics. And tonight we're talking about the ethics of getting high. But what we aren't here to do is try and work out whether drugs are universally good or universally bad. And we have a great panel for you tonight. Um, First up, we have artist, activist, and infamous partier, Jack Mannix. Um, next to Jack, we have Jamie Worth, a former Bang Gang DJ who's now known as the man behind the reinvigoration of the notorious Club 77, as well as the Norfolk, the Foresters and the Oxford Tavern, amongst many others. And at the end, we have Dr. Sasha Callaghan, who is an ethicist at the University of Sydney. Um, she's also a lecturer in health law and an expert on capacity and consent. So, guys, I want to start with a bit of a personal question. How old were you when you first tried illicit drugs? And thinking back on it, do you feel like it was the right age? Maybe, Sasha, we can start with you. I was 12, and um, I ate a
1: hash cookie with my friend. And um, would I recommend it? I remember it as being a terrible trip. I thought I was dying um, my main concern was that my dad would find out um, so yeah we went to bed my my friend and I went to bed at seven o'clock just be, you know we're really tired dad and I remember going, as we were going to bed sobbing to her and saying if I die tell everybody what happened um, so um, yeah so I, I don't th- I think you know I was right to hold off for a good two years before I tried it again. (laughs)
0: Um, Jamie, how about you?
2: Oh, I started a little bit later in life, I think. I think I was about 16 at the big day out. Um,
0: A classic beginning.
2: Classic. Watching Josh Abrams and uh, Chemical Brothers, and I took ecstasy for the first time, bought it off some random dude in the crowd, and... uh, Lost my mind. Um,
0: too young, too old? Because you have uh, kids now, don't you?
2: I have kids, yeah, in the scheme of things, it was probably later than a lot of people, I think. Um, but it was, no, I think it was the right time for me, you know, yeah.
0: Jack, how about you?
2: Um,
3: yeah, I'm, I guess the first time I did uh, illegal drugs <clears throat> would have probably been about um, 12. And um, again, marijuana. I smoked it in a joint with a group of friends who were all in their 20s or something. Um, And, yeah, I was the only person who'd never smoked it before, so I was trying to, like, act like I had and, like, keep my cool, but I just, like, yeah, started pissing myself straight away, like, with laughter, not (laughs) actually (laughs) pissing myself. Um, Yeah, and I felt like everyone was staring at me. and Yeah, I was really... um, like, embarrassed, I guess, but I also kind of enjoyed it.
0: Do you feel like it was a good age to start?
3: Ooh, um, no, no, I think I, yeah, I think I was too young, um, in general.
0: Yep. So our first question comes from Chelsea in Adelaide, um, and Chelsea asks... From my personal experience, if a group is buying drugs to take as a social activity, there's usually one friend who organises it for everyone else. Is this person's responsibility to know the quality of the drugs, or are they merely another step along the line from production to consumption? Sasha, I want to start with you to think about this in terms of ethics. How much responsibility do you have to take for your own well-being, and how much do you have to think about other people?
1: Firstly, I should uh, disarm anybody of the idea that uh, the ethicist actually has any answers. Uh, so, so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but, but what I do have, and what, what the process of what, what ethics is, is is actually a process of um, reflection. Actually, so it's a it's a reflect ethics doing ethics is ethical reasoning. So, um, you know, to to quote an ancient Greek, which is something that, that ethicists like to do, um, ethics is about um, answering the original Socratic question: How should we live? And the way that that's often translated is: What should we do? So, so the ethical thing to do is actually to ask yourself the question: What should we do? And the other important thing about ethics is it's aiming towards a notion of the good. So that's a Greek idea as well, the good. Now, what is the good? The good's been described in lots of different kinds of ways. Uh, a typical way that the Stoics, Aristotle, all, all those sort of original thinkers, I like to think of it, was in terms of well being. So, what creates the most well being? What creates the most good? What creates the most happiness? Even utilitarians just focus on what creates the most happiness. Each individual has to answer that question themselves. Now, another thing to take into account then is you know what what sort of control does that person have? So usually we're only obliged to do those things that we have control over. Now the person who's buying the drugs doesn't have a great deal of control over the quality. You know, so then we fall back on those those usual things where it's sort of like you know, one ethical position that we've come to accept as a society is buyer beware, where we say, "Look, I don't know. I've got no control. I'm really sorry." I'm going to take it, so I'm not, I'm not doing anything wrong by you. I'm personally not going to cut this with anything that's going to harm you. But I don't know if anyone else has. So all I can say is, I've done for you what you've asked me to do. That's a good thing. I've done my best. I haven't done anything to, um, you know, harm you. So I guess it's those sorts of questions, like, have you done your best? They're the sorts of things that people might ask themselves.
0: Jack, I want to jump to you because I think you're quite open with the fact that you take drugs. Yep. And I would wonder how much um, effort do you hope that your friend would have gone to if they were buying drugs for you to make sure that they're safe?
3: Um, <clears throat> again, I think, like, yeah, I think with this question, um, it it also really depends on uh, what drugs you are talking about. Obviously, um, different drugs all have very different properties and potential um, risk outcomes as well as potential payoffs. Um, If, say, it was like a situation with a group of recreational users who are friends going out on the weekend to take ecstasy or something like this, if, um, you know, if all of the people in the group are sort of of an equal amount of experience, um, you know, they all use as infrequently or frequently as each other. Um, you know, I think you kind of come to a bit of a group consensus as to, like, what you're going to be okay with, and I think, yeah, like what Sasha was saying, there is a um, there is this sort of uh, understanding that you don't have control over the substance, especially when... It comes to something like illicit drugs where there's a black market, there's no regulation. Um, so, you know, like even it, even a lot of drug dealers don't know exactly what is in the drugs that they're selling because, that you know, they're not the point of um, production.
0: Do you feel like it's different if one person in the group is a frequent user and other people are maybe new to the drug?
3: Yeah, I think that definitely um, has... An impact on the dynamics of the situation. It doesn't necessarily <clears throat> make it any more or less ethical, but um, like for example, if if we were talking about something like heroin, where the um, you know the consequences of taking that drug and having a bad experience are potentially death and these kinds of drastic outcomes, I think there is a much greater responsibility to not just do your best, but to also let your friends or whoever you're using with know like exactly how much or how little control you have over the situation and also to to make sure that you know as much as you can about where they're coming from and obviously that's you know up to the person and how honest they're going to be about you as in terms of their prior use if it's something they haven't taken before I think you know that's something you need to consider and have that conversation. Are you sure you want to take this? But yeah, I guess, I think there is some responsibility with providing drugs, but you know, as we said, you can't guarantee exactly what you're getting. So there's also an understanding about that, I think.
0: Um, I feel like you're talking about quite personal relationships, but Jamie, you run quite a lot of venues. So I Mm. guess the responsibility is a little bit less personal. But how much? Yeah, uh, how much responsibility do you personally feel for like the well-being of people in your venues well, that are you, honestly probably te- yeah, sometimes taking drugs? Yeah, I mean, if,
2: technically, I'm, I sell drugs for a living. You know, it's it's alcohol, but it's it's really no different. Um,
1: You're taking for granted as well, though, the safety of. The product that you're selling. Yeah,
2: it's a regulated Whereas market. Whereas if there was a
1: bad batch of vodka, for example, sure, it, it, where one out of five people yeah. were dying, you'd be like, oh, mm, I'm not gonna.
2: Yeah, exactly. That and way. it's it's very easy to operate in a regulated drug market. You know what you're selling. People know what they're getting. They know the drunkenness that they're going to get. So it's a much easier market to deal in.
0: If something like um, pill testing were legal, would you? want to have something like that in your venues? I'm
2: very much to the opinion, pill, pill testing to me is just one step towards harm um, minimisation and so on that level I would very much agree with it. Um, how much success or um, effectiveness that would you know actually have I'm a bit dubious about but I think anything um, that has a bit of maturity in the way it deals with Drugs and the way people engage with drugs is definitely a good thing.
1: I think also, you know, there's lots of, you know, dimensions of vulnerability and you can easily make presumptions about the person who's getting the drugs is bad. But what about the ethics of, you know, getting your friend to get drugs for you? Yeah. You know, you just don't know who's in a position of strength and who's in a position of vulnerability, actually. You know, and what is an experienced drug user? I mean, actually, what sort of position are they in, so everybody has to think about, you know, the harms that they might be contributing to.
3: Yeah, actually on that note, potentially a more experienced drug user could very well be a struggling drug addict, um, or you know, whatever it might be, not a struggling drug addict, a functioning drug addict, or any kind of um, regular user, and their uh, ability to say no to drugs is potentially hindered. So you know, if you had a friend that were a heroin addict and you yourself weren't, but you felt like maybe one weekend you wanted to try heroin, you know, there's ethical implications of contacting that friend of yours with a heroin addiction and saying, hey, would you mind helping me get heroin for a party or something? Like, you know, that's kind of, I feel like that is stepping over a different ethical boundary in terms of potentially compromising that person's um, you know, If they are trying to abstain from drugs, then you're compromising their recovery. Um, if they're not trying to abstain from drugs, obviously that's a different thing altogether, but yeah.
0: Perfect, so our next question comes from Dylan in Melbourne. Um, and Dylan asks, why is it that we as a nation and as a society Um, deem drug use so acceptable that it's come to the point where you're in the minority if you don't do drugs. Why have we as the majority made excuses as to why it's okay to do something that's illegal? And to give a little background on this one, um, there was a study done in Dunedin that followed 1037 babies born there from 1972 throughout their entire lives and the study found that 90% of men had abused drugs or alcohol by the time they turned 21 years old. Um, So I guess that gives a sense of like this is quite a common thing. Um, so Jack, let's start with you. Do you feel like the majority of your friends do drugs or that there's a pressure to do drugs <coughs> if you're going out?
3: Um, I suppose there definitely could be. I mean personally I haven't felt much um, peer pressure to do drugs or societal pressure. I find there's actually a lot a lot of pressure to take, to drink alcohol in terms of drug taking, although that's not an illegal drug. It is one of the most um, powerful and toxic drugs available. Um, so yeah, I'd say that drinking, and then yeah, obviously drinking does lend itself to more like other recreational forms of drug use. But um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like with that Dunedin study, and um, from my experience of Dunedin, it's quite a um, specific. Part of <laughs> <laughs> what are you, what are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I feel like drug use into, Yeah, example, I don't know that, I don't know necessarily, but I mean, I'd say like yeah, like a lot of a lot of people do use drugs. I wouldn't say you're necessarily in the minority if if you don't use illegal drugs, though. I don't know. Just my um, experience.
0: Jamie, I know you tried being a vegetarian for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you ended. <laughs> um, but you ended up going back to eating meat. I did. Um,
2: this is quite recently, actually.
0: This is fresh. If I'm, if still... I'm
2: fresh, fresh back in the meat eating scene. Yeah. yeah. I
0: want. I'd love you to talk a little bit about that um, process that you went through to justify okay. to yourself of taking sure. of starting to. i Of eat not eating again. meat.
2: When I got asked to do this panel, I thought about the ethics of taking drugs, and the, one of the first things my mind went to was the negative consequences. Like because I was had just gone through this process of being vegetarian, I I kind of applied that logic to um, taking drugs and um, thinking about you know the how bad it is for the environment in terms of the production, and how bad it is for the illegal labour force and. I thought about all those things but then I also thought like I've never really considered why I've never considered um, any of those elements when I've been getting high you know and I guess it's it's it was kind of in my mind I could see how they were similar like I was able to forget or because I really wanted to eat meat I was able to forget how bad it was for the world because I sometimes really liked to get high I was also able to you know forget. out how that is really bad for the world as well so yeah there's 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 some kind of similarity in those two processes
0: um Sasha how do you feel like people rationalize using illicit drugs how do you justify it to yourself see I don't
1: think there's like one majority will when things are being deemed and 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 stuff like that I just I find that um I can't really relate to that sort of feeling but I do get the impression that you know, the person who's asking this question probably is a member of the minority, and they feel oppressed. Um, and they're probably wondering, why does everybody else feel this way? Why does everyone else love these drugs and I don't? Well, I don't know. Um, you know, we sometimes find ourselves, um, you know, in in the minority uh, for various, you know, sorts sorts of things. I don't mind wearing fur, for example. I I I, I call. I've got a Beautiful fur jacket, and I call it my fight starter jacket, and I usually (laughs) wear it on ethics panels. I brought some today, but it's just too hot to wear. Um, But the fact is, I don't think we as a society have actually deemed anything. It just so happens that ever since humans have had consciousness, we've enjoyed altering it. And all societies at all times in history have enjoyed a little bit of something to take the edge off or to alter our consciousness in in some sort of way. Historically, we've let everyone use drugs in an unrestricted manner. Slowly, particularly since the 40s, we've started to put rules around them. And they've been for complicated reasons, but usually perceived harms. So still alcohol is the most harmful drug, the most suffering, the most violence, the most everything is related to alcohol that's legal and controlled, but, you know, controlled substance, other drugs less so. But really what you're looking at always and the things that, you know, excite lawmakers, excite... Uh, other,
0: other people in societies when there's harm. So, the next question is uh, about consent. Um, and I think we're getting better at educating young people about consent when it comes to alcohol. Um, but we don't really have the same conversation around drugs. Um, so, what do you think about consent when you're high? Is that a different conversation? You know,
3: obviously, there are different situations whereby you can actually consent to something like sex under the influence of some substance. You might have planned something with your partner, or, you know, it's not always gonna be a power imbalance, but generally I feel like if one person is relatively sober and another person is quite obviously um, intoxicated by any substance, then the person who has more clarity of mind, Um, has a responsibility to not take advantage of the fact that this person's um, ability to consent might be hindered. Especially if someone is intoxicated, it's very important to always check in on the consent, like, because consent is fluid, you know, just because you say yes to something doesn't mean you're not going to change your mind. Um, So yeah, I think consent is very tricky when alcohol or other drugs are involved. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Sasha, I know some of your work centres around consent. Do you feel like you can consent when you're high?
1: As a rule of thumb, it's not a good idea, right? Not, It's not a good idea. Um, but, you know, I mean, as a young woman who themselves has taken a bit of Dutch courage from time to time, uh, particularly, you know, in the early days, you're inexperienced and you think, well, it could be my... T- Chance tonight, uh, but it certainly won't be if I haven't got a couple of drinks under my belt. So I'll just have a little bit of that, um, you know, vodka or whatever, and that'll that'll give that'll get me across the line. It will disinhibit me. But you know, luckily I've never sort of I've never really been taken advantage of. I've been lucky to have you know always been around people because I think most people are actually. You know, pretty nice a lot of the time. But in terms of okay, what is what do we really mean about what it takes to be able to consent? Well, legally, what we mean is that people can um, understand what's going on. They can use and weigh the consequences, and they they can make a decision. But you know, like you know we could easily do a bit of quick and dirty, Research even with this audience, and we could, you know, look out on the at the audience and say, "This is perfectly confidential," and you're all looking at me now. And I'd like all of you who have ever had unprotected sex to raise their eyebrows.
0: <laughs> right. I think, I think we had so, a raised hand.
1: <laughs> so that being the case, you know, sex is one of those things that it's a you know we all take risks with it. Again, there's, there's pros pros and cons, there's reasons why we do that and we don't necessarily feel that those risky things have been bad for us, uh, but yes, there's a good rule of thumb is to, to don't have sex with the, with the drunk. It's, generally speaking, not a good idea.
0: I feel like it's also hard as well because it can be really pleasurable to, like, if you are with your partner and, you, like you said, you've, like, decided to do something together. Mm. I guess it comes back to that balance of power question because there is the to not moralize there is like a pleasurable side of of taking drugs and exactly. of having sex
3: yeah. yeah absolutely
0: um Jamie yes <laughs> um, <laughs> um have you I mean drugs lower your inhibitions yeah. have you ever regretted something you've done
2: I think I'm always the more high one so.
0: <laughs> have you felt vulnerable?
2: Well, I feel very vulnerable now. Um,
0: <laughs>
2: so I don't know if I've really had to deal with that problem.
0: Do you feel like you've ever thought about how you'd have that conversation with your kids? Because I guess you have like the birds and the bees conversation. Or...
2: Yeah, I, I, I have actually thought about this, about what... Um, I've got a five-year-old and a four-year-old and at some point in the not to, well, you know, at some point in the next 10 years, I'll have to have that discussion with them and how it would play out. Because um, I know, I mean, my upbringing was very much, uh, my parents have never taken drugs and um, would be very alarmed that I'm here tonight probably. But um, And so the conversation was was very simple. It was, uh, we've never taken drugs, so you should never take drugs. They're bad, don't do it the next stage along of me having to talk to my children, I have taken drugs in my life and uh, I will have to figure out what the best strategy is. Um, But you know, there'd have to definitely be a, 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 I'd have to be honest about it. Um, I I don't feel like I could, uh, you know, I would be achieving much to pretend that I haven't taken drugs and, and, try and go that, go that avenue.
0: You have 10 years to think about it. I have 10 it. years yeah. to get there, so I'll, I'm
2: still working on it.
0: Okay, great. So our next question comes from Alastair from Ocean Shores, New South Wales, shout out. Um, <laughs> uh, in light of the rising popularity of cocaine in Australia, what responsibility do users have for the devastating effects that demand for this drug has on parts of South and Central America? For some background, Uh, Australia is the world's fourth biggest user of cocaine per capita. 8% of Australians have tried coke in their lifetime. Um, And the wholesale price of cocaine is falling dramatically. It's now as low as $180,000 a kilo because importers are getting so efficient at getting it through our borders. Jamie you run clubs in Sydney mm. um, and i've heard sometimes people do cocaine at drugs in Sydney, they at do. Clubs in Sydney. Yes. Um, do you ever <laughs> Not consider <of> mine. <laughs> <laughs> i mean do you ever consider how the spaces that you're creating um, are playing into this like broader issue of drug if drugs if i'm
2: honest i've never considered it and i don't think a lot of people have i don't think most people make that connection that you know i don't think they Get ready to do a line and think about the bigger picture that's going on, about the geopolitics and murder rates. And um, I'm not saying they shouldn't, um, but I think it'd be—I just—I just don't think that that's a, a thought that most people have.
0: Jack, you were a heroin user. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's known that most of the world's opium is grown in Afghanistan. Yep. Um, and there have been direct links to like funding the Taliban and all of these issues that come with that. Yep. Um, not to put this Proud. on me. Not to put it
1: on one, good one. Um, good one.
0: <laughs> one. <laughs> um, but like, when you were using, did you ever consider the supply chain?
3: Um, yeah, I, I did actually. There were two different varieties of heroin that were available to me from my dealer. And um, one supposedly originated in Southeast Asia, Thailand, and the other one, which was more common, came from Afghanistan. Um, and so I guess that, <clears throat> just because that's what my dealer told me or whatever, that gave me some awareness to, like, oh, yeah, these drugs don't just come from that guy that I have called but they come from Afghanistan.
0: Sasha, do you feel like there's an ethical way to look at this um I guess how much responsibility an individual user should take for broader issues in the world?
1: I mean, there's different schools of thought. So Peter, people like Peter Singer, for example, would say that um, all of our decisions have global implications and that we uh, need to look beyond our immediate circumstances and consider the global ramifications. Of, of what we're doing, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly a school of thought that says that that that's an important, important consideration, and it's really hard to argue that that it isn't uh, an important consideration. Then how do we deal with that? Well, do we say, well, let's legalise them then and have a well-regulated market where we pay people properly and people aren't at risk of, you know, it's not the lowest of the low who are put in these positions where they're, you know, at risk of arrest or, you know, death penalties or, you know, in the manufacturing process or it leads to social decay in, you know, Mexico or whatever. Let's just make it a good clean industry and just trade it in in a normal sort of way. But then there's, you know, there's moral questions associated with, with, doing, you know, with doing that as well. Ethics is all about interrogation of your, your way of thinking, which is why it's annoying for a lot of people. Whereas, whereas morals, you know, having morals is saying, well, this is the right thing. Um, and a moral position has been, and in lots of sorts of ways, that, that being out of it is a bad thing. And there's lots of intuitions behind that. It's partly, well, our God given state is a natural state. And that leads to the reification of the natural. That is, you know, saying that the natural state is the best state. Therefore, plastic surgery is bad, drugs are bad, you know, prettifying yourself or anything, you know, anything unnatural is bad. We have lots of those inclinations. Drugs are bad. You know, also um, being out of it because. Because of the fact that our rational selves are you know exalted, that's what makes us different from animals, you know it's what makes us especially human, even from a secular point of view, our rationality is a prized state, you know arguably giving it up is 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 bad, and also the addictive aspects of it, you know they have led to serious social problems. So there's lots of reasons why people have historically said, you know what, drugs are just bad, let's just stick with that. But there is another school of thought that says, well, you know, for all of the reasons that despite the fact that drugs are bad, a majority of people have persisted in taking one form or another since people have had consciousness.
0: Dr Stephen Bright from Melbourne Um, asks, over the past few years, over 500 new drugs have been identified that were created to work around the law, many of which are more dangerous than the drugs they were intended to mimic. How can the continuation of prohibition, which has led to this situation, be considered ethical? Um, Jamie, as someone who works and lives in Sydney, do you feel like this prohibition approach has worked. I mean, the sniffer dogs, lockout laws, a ban of pill testing at music festivals. Uh, it feels like the prohibition approach is quite pronounced here.
2: Yeah. I'm just anti-prohibition. It's just the way I am. I think, um, I think we should legalise everything. We should find a way to tax it. We should find a way to regulate it. We should let people do what they want. Um, I think enough people are taking drugs to see that it's going to continue and that people want to do it and um, and trying to continually restrict people, just, it doesn't work. Um, it seems juvenile.
0: Um, I know that your business partner passed away yep. from an accidental overdose. Yep. Did that change the way that you thought about the risks of drugs or did it make you feel like this black market is just...
2: Um, I mean, James passing away was one of those Terrible things, um, very unfortunate, um, bad mix of drugs on a bad night. Um, probably no different though to what a lot of other people have done, um, or maybe what he'd done on other nights, and he just got really, really unlucky. Um, having said that, um, you know, it doesn't make me, I, I don't, I mean, James overdosed and died at a time when drugs were illegal and he was on what was probably a cocktail of um, you know of illegal drugs so making them illegal doesn't work you know it, it didn't save him um, and it hasn't saved a lot of other people so you know I think um, approaching a more harm minimization strategy is the only way to um, to maybe avoid situations like that
0: yep. Um, Sasha, do you feel like people have a right to get high? You know, there, there, there's an interesting
1: tension between, you know, perhaps saying, well, should it be legalised? Or, you know, there's all sorts of other things, which are actually they're almost hard things for lawyers to grasp, where it's like, all right, well, let's keep it illegal, but let's never, su- let's never prosecute it unless it's a problem. I mean, I was at Splendour last week, and, you know, there were sniffer dogs everywhere there. And I thought my instinct then was like, get them out of here. There's no trouble here. This is a lovely place. There's no problems. You know, not, it, it's never been in the public interest to enforce every law at every moment. We've never, that's not the case. Just the fact that a law is on the books doesn't mean that every person who transgresses it should be charged and punished for it. So perhaps there's some kind of middle ground And there are all sorts of options that, you know, are reasonable to explore, you know, to think about all the effects of the things that you might do.
0: Jack, I know that you have some pretty strong feelings about uh, prohibition, Um, but maybe could you talk about your own experience um, with being an addict and how the prohibition affected that?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, because of my personal experience um, as an addict, I, I have, I guess, a bit of a insight into both sides of that argument whereby I can see the abhorrent failures of prohibition. I can see so much damage that has been a direct cause of these laws and not because of drugs. But then I can also see from my own personal life, the extreme um, toll that drugs have taken both physically and psychologically on me and the people around me. Um, But, yeah, when it comes to prohibition, it's a really tricky one, especially in relation to heroin use, because, I mean, heroin is one of those few drugs that is not only extremely psychologically addictive, but also physically addictive, like alcohol and benzos. Um, And so, you know, I think, like, something like what Portugal has done, where they've decriminalised drugs without actually... Legalizing them so you can't go to a shop and buy heroin, but you can go to your dealer and buy heroin still and not get in trouble. Um, you still, you know, they're still not allowed to sell drugs, so the dealer could get in trouble. But you don't get, um, you don't get arrested for personal use or possession. I think you know that's a good first step, but it's not a blanket answer because then you still have a black market. You still have this unregulated industry. You still have all of the same. A lot of the same risks involved. Um, I guess for me, like, because of prohibition, I um, went from using heroin to using methadone. And methadone is a much more manageable lifestyle for me because heroin is illegal. Um, But methadone is actually a far less healthy substance for me to be taking than heroin, even. The withdrawals last something like five times as long as heroin withdrawals and uh, far more severe. Um, So, you know, when it comes time to get off methadone, that's gonna be a much harder thing than it would have been to get off heroin with clinical, you know, medical supervision. It's like, this drug, heroin, is such a problem. We need to do something about it. We need an alternative. It's physically addictive. You can't just stop taking it. So they put methadone in place as a legal alternative, but what makes methadone any more ethically sound than heroin? You know, it's it's not really. Um, and I think, you know, the same can be said of alcohol and most other illicit drugs, it's far more um, harmful. So, yeah, I, I feel like prohibition doesn't necessarily serve the population in terms of protecting us because, you know, these drugs are still readily available. There's no way to stop people from taking these drugs. People, you know, in prisons where there are no Um, clean needles available people use needles up to a thousand times they sharpen them like it's horrific the lengths that people are forced to go to to take drugs when they could have far easier access and you know far safer um, ways of accessing it
0: thanks for tuning in to vice specials subscribe to our podcast channel to get all the latest from vice